0: The following is a bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I've legitimately lost track of what day of the week it is, but it doesn't matter because I know it's a weekday, which means we've got a podcast to do. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. This is a HoopBall presentation. That's Hoop-Ball.com, the website. Lots of really cool stuff actually going on at HoopBall, despite the continued lack of sports and massive quarantining of all of us. For instance, if you guys want to take a moment to hop on over to the website, again, it's Hoop-Ball.com, or you can just go to at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. That's where all this stuff gets sent out throughout the day. Some of the guys are favorites, breaking down the two thousand and seventeen draft, kind of an interesting little more recent edition of the what might have changed in the recent past uh, friend of the program and HoopBall contributor Alex Khalifa wrote a season in review or season so far on the Orlando Magic. Our buddy Steve Vidovich also broke down the magic, a fantasy snapshot on the amazing Jonathan Isaac. Uh, also on Nick Vucevic, I mean, there's there's so much stuff. Uh, Vidovic also taking a tour of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. So again, there is no shortage. Okay, compared to the middle of the season, there's a shortage. But compared to zero, there is definitely not. Greg Mraz, a uh, recent episode of the Hootball Bulls podcast. Definitely want to check that one out. A lot of fun. And the great Brandon Marcus has an episode coming out of the Hootball Clippers podcast with Andrew Greif of the Los Angeles Times. He covers the Clippers, uh, Southern California night, and those two guys have connected on that podcast before. So plenty of good stuff going on. Expecting a Hoopball Lakers podcast later this week as well, as a lot of our guys get kind of fired back up again after a couple-week hiatus here uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, there was the first it's kind of semi-sort of therapeutic on the COVID front, but we're not going to talk about that on today's podcast. We'll leave that to the experts. Just a little bit of semi-good news Uh, Doesn't change anything in terms of our timeline. Was nice to see a couple of the uh, states that have been kind of more cautious in all of this, starting to move towards opening up things like public parks and uh, other places where maybe we could wander around a little bit. So uh, a couple pieces of small, decent news on the virus front. Otherwise, things have largely stayed the same. Nothing truly connected to the sports front. We finished up the Western Conference on yesterday's show with the Memphis Grizzlies, so today we turn our attention now to the Eastern Conference, and I thought, well, since Hoopball is covering the Magic today already, we'll just go Southeast, and we'll tail them right into Orlando Magic territory as well, because, let's be honest, it's one of the easier teams in the Eastern Conference to do, and we like to start with the easy ones and work our way someplace tougher. The Magic had, by all accounts, three very, very good fantasy—well, uh, two extraordinarily good fantasy names this year. One of them prior to an injury. One, uh, pretty solid overperformer. One guy who was underperforming in a huge way until the last month and change or so, and then one guy who stepped into a much larger role when a couple of his teammates got hurt. You probably know each individual player that I was talking about, but the Magic are a perfect opportunity for us to work from top to bottom. And so we'll start with the highest-ranked Magic this year on a per-game basis was the young fella. Jonathan Isaac, who sadly played just 32 games before blowing out his knee, 12 points, 7 rebounds, 1.6 steals, 2.4 blocks, and a three-pointer, 46% from the field, 77% at the free-throw line. He has that incredible... And and again, you know, we, we reference guys like Miles Turner from a couple years ago. He hasn't really done it as much more recently. But Isaac, you're starting to see the stuff come together with him. He was a guy that, and I talked about it on, uh, let's see, what I think that was yesterday's podcast when we were talking about Jaron Jackson Jr., someone in, in kind of a similar mold where, You know, if you look at Miles Turner last year, he averaged 2.7 blocks, 0.8 steals, a three-pointer, 49% from the field, 74 at the free-throw line. He did those things with 13 and 7, by the way, where you're like, oh, okay, this is a guy that is not really elevating your percentages, but he's not hurting them, and he's able to get you stats that are hard to find, namely blocks, with a smattering of steals and an ability to knock down an occasional three-pointer with a few rebounds as well. Jonathan Isaac's line from this year is not that different from Miles Turner from last year. More steals, lower field goal percent. And that's really the only differences between the two. The questions that are going to kick around about Jonathan Isaac is, and he got stronger, but it didn't change the fact that this season ended with an injury, which has been the case for him here in his brief career so far. The question is, as we said a moment ago, is this someone you can stamp as injury prone and i think the answer is no it's he's too young to put that tag on anyone he's way too young there's there's unquestionably a long road ahead of young jonathan isaac and so even though there's there's a risk attached to everyone, and maybe the risk attached to, uh, attached to him is just a little bit higher because of his build and because of his ability, and you you wonder if all of the athleticism is going to make its way back. And I I I would venture to say yes, because of how young he still is. This is a guy that to me might actually end up getting underdrafted last year because of the injury. Now I don't know this for sure. In fact, I, I could be. I could be completely wrong on this front. He could end up being drafted in the second round because he was posting second round value at the time of his injury. But I'm willing to to guess that because he only logged 32 games and because he's now missed time in his young career due to injury at pretty much every juncture through his three seasons, he played 75 games last year, which a lot of people I think will ignore because it wasn't that impressive last season. It was kind of an underwhelming sophomore campaign. The fact that he played only 27 games his first year and 32 this season in his breakout campaign, people are going to remember that. We have a long way to go, obviously, before we get to any draft period again, so we could be completely off base, but seeing his field goal percent move up by 3%, his free throw percent is up around 80 for his career, so that's actually a decent spot for him, and he was lower than that this season, but he had the time. He was playing 30 minutes a game, the blocks, the steals were there. He was able to keep his personal fouls down. The rebounds were there. Scoring was slowly making its way up, but I don't think that's ever going to be the reason you draft him. This guy's the limit. I mean, there's, there's room for him to potentially grow from this with a little bit more usage. I don't know that that comes. I don't know that that comes. So it's hard to make a real assessment of Jonathan Isaac's season. It was a massive success, briefly, and then a massive failure because he didn't play after the first two months of the year. I wasn't that high on him this season. I'll admit, I, I didn't know that, I, I didn't, I wasn't confident, I don't think of the right way to put this, I wasn't confident that the Magic were going to give him enough opportunity this season, but it was really nice to see his field goal attempts go from 8 to 10, despite only playing about 10% more uh, more minutes per game, from 27 to 30. It was really nice to see that. The Seals and Blocks, going back up to a rate much closer to his first season in the league, that was colossal, and it feels like he was finding his place. I can't make a, a final call on Jonathan Isaac until we know where he's getting drafted next season, but I'm hoping that the injury causes him to fall a little bit. I don't see that many reasons why he couldn't be a second-round value again, especially if he takes another small step forward, on the offensive end. Meanwhile, Nikola Vucevic, who got off to a really slow start this year, ended up turning it around in a big way. Uh, As you may recall, he was hovering in that top 40 range for the better part of a month and a half, and then just sort of kicked along and around a top 20 clip, and because everybody else was bouncing up and down around him, his consistency landed him right behind Jonathan Isaac at number 17 on the year, with 20 points, 11 rebounds, a steal, a block, a three-pointer, and a half 3.7 3.7 assists, 47% from the field and 78% at the free throw line. He is, by all accounts, and now we're we're starting to see it actually click in a little bit more consistently. Yes, he missed about 10 games this season, which is a pisser. But compared to I mean, we look at some of his numbers from a little bit earlier in his career, he was generally in that that you know, he had a 57 game season, a 65 game season, and that was bouncing back and forth between those and about 75. And so this one was probably going to be around 72, 73, coming off an 80-game season last year. I think you have to like what you've seen. He was down a little bit season over season. His field goal percent was lower, and that was basically the only difference in his scoring clip. He took more three-pointers, fewer two-pointers, so from an efficiency standpoint, it didn't change that much. But seeing him step away from the bucket a little bit more, you know, you you take the good with the bad. Do you want the extra half a three-pointer a game at the expense of field goal percent? I would say no, but at the same time, you're still talking about a very safe second-round guy who's going to get you basically 20-10 and as long as he's on a Magic team with this particular makeup. He's going to get you three and change assists. He's going to get you 20-10. and He's going to get you around one, one, and one. That's a pretty good guy to get in your second round. I could think of worse situations to be in. He doesn't hurt you almost any place. The magic of Nick Vucevic is that he really doesn't hurt you anywhere. It's hard to be basically a net positive or neutral in every statistical category, and he pretty much is with a slight positive in turnovers, which were very low this year at just 1.4, scoring and rebounding, and a little bit of a positive in blocks. Although at one a game from your center, maybe you hope for more like 1.1, 1.2. If he doesn't get there, which he wasn't this year, It's not the end of the world. This is your trademark second-round Dan Bespris kind of thing. This is your trademark Dan Bespris kind of guy. He is a safe second-round pick who might miss 10% of his team's games, but it's not going to kill you because at the end of the day, he's going to be playing probably somewhat close to the league average in games at any given point. He was number 20 by totals at the point the season ended this year. And that's pretty much where he was drafted. Vooch's ADP was 23, although I, I would say he generally went a little bit earlier than that in most of my drafts, more like in that uh, 17 to 20 range. And if you draft someone 17 to 20, finishing ahead of that would be outstanding. But finishing behind that is what really hurts, which is why we continue to abide by the same general rule, If there's a guy you can get in the first, second, or third round that you can basically guarantee is going to be that round of value, you take him. Vooch was there at 19, you take him. If he ends up at number 20, BFD. Big flippin' deal. That is good enough. Sure, there are always your one or two guys drafted in the second or third round that push up towards the top of the draft. This year, uh, let's see, who was your second-round guy that ended up in the first round? Uh, No one, really, actually, in kind of an unbelievable twist. The first round was made up of first-round guys and kind of mid-rounders, like Jason Tatum, who was more in the 30s and 40s. John Collins was, I guess John Collins was sort of like end of the second round, beginning of the third type of territory. But really, you know, your second-round guys, you were hoping for them to finish in the second round. Jimmy Butler... Second-round guy finished in the second round. Uh, Vooch, Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton in the games he actually played in. Clint Capel, he actually went later than that. Most of the guys drafted in the second round this year actually finished behind the second round. Namely, uh, Kyrie Irving, who was ahead of that in a per game but didn't play at all. Paul George finished outside. Russell Westbrook had a great season, still finished outside the second round. Drew Holiday Outside the second round, Luka Doncic right on the edge of the second and third round. He was number 25, so maybe we'll give him honorary status there. Uh, Rudy Gobert was outside the second round. Where the hell did he finish? 35 this year. Kemba Walker was in the 40s. Andre Drummond was uh, in the second round until he got traded to Cleveland, and then he fell out. Miles Turner was outside of it. So really, you're talking about Jimmy Butler, who was roughly the first pick of the second round on an ADP basis, DeAndre Ayton, who was kind of the last pick of the second round, and pre-trade Andre Drummond and Trey Young. That's not even half of the guys drafted in the second round that actually made the second round. So when you see a guy like Vooch, and it feels a little bit boring to look at him and go, you know what, this is a guy that's going to be in the second round, There's, there is definitely a value to that. Why did I spend so much time talking about Nick Vucevic? I don't know. Honestly, I really don't know. I could have very easily gotten on this podcast and just said he was who he was, but you guys know I love that dude, and I love guys that play and put up numbers like that, where you just don't, it's a set it and forget it, early round guy. He's going to get you good value, he's going to help your team in a lot of different ways, you can count on him night in and night out, and you just, man, it's really nice to have early picks that don't. Make your heart beat too fast. The only other guy, and this is on a per-game basis, I should mention, the only other magic to get inside the top 100 on a per-game basis was the balding Evan Fournier, who did finally take care of that weird hair stuff going on. And I can say it because I, too, am a balding male. But I am a bit older than Evan Fournier. Regardless, this was the, the trademark Dan-you-missed-it-by-a-year thing going on because Evan Fournier was on my old man squad last year and had a thoroughly disappointing season, 2018-2019, where, yes, he played in all 81 games, so by totals he was inside the top 100, but he averages 15 points uh, on 44% shooting last season under a steal a game and only 1.93 pointers. Everything was just down last year. And it's super weird because he played a lot. He was generally healthy. He just, that's one of those spirals, I think, for a guy where things started going poorly and he just couldn't get himself out of the tailspin. And then this year, fresh slate. Dude played in almost every game again. That's two seasons in a row where he's been incredibly durable for the Magic. Hit 47% of his shots. Increased his number of three-pointers while hitting a career-best 40.5% from downtown. Got his steals back up over one per game. 19 points to go along with basically the same peripheral stuff. And almost nothing else was different. Maybe shot selection a little bit better, but, you know, minutes per game for Fournier have been exactly the same for the better part of five seasons in a row. This is just the weird random fluctuations of what uh, uh, can happen to a guy over a full season. Last year he just had a down year, and this year he had an up year. Last year, he was number 144 on a per-game basis. He was 108 by totals. This season, he was in the 60s per on a per-game and 47 by totals. Top 50 value at the time of the league ending. Who is the real Evan Fournier? Honest to God, I couldn't tell you because I thought we were getting this guy last year. I was looking for a duplicate effort on the 2017 season. when he averaged 18 points. On 46% shooting and then he dipped and then he came back up over that and everything's leveling out to about 45 to 46% and about two three pointers a game. One way or the other, this is a guy that will probably fall again next year. I doubt people realized how good he has been this season. Uh, It's been it's been an excellent year. There's there's no way to put it any other way. He's, He's been very consistent. His slumps have been short lived. He has a player option for next season at $17 million that I'm guessing he'll exercise given the, again, the, the weird financial climate the NBA is under. And so presumably, you know, unless he thinks that because he put up such a big season that he can go test free agency and make more than $17 million, that would surprise the hell out of me. I think he comes back next year with Orlando and tries to do it again in a in a true contract year. I would draft that dude in the 90s. I really would. I mean, he's inside the top fifty this year, so that feels like a, a stupid sentence to say, but yeah, you know, he, he wasn't getting drafted anywhere this season. I honestly I don't even remember where the hell Evan Fournier was getting drafted. We can look it up, but I'm fairly certain it was outside the top one hundred. Wasn't it? Yeah, he was like one thirty. Eleventh ish, eleventh, 11th, twelfth round guy. Basically, you know, you can clump all your, your 11th through 15th rounders into one giant bucket because it's all a, a total grab bag. But he was one of those end-of-draft kind of draft, old manny types that really panned out well. And I think he could be again. I don't think he's going to go at 130 after posting a better year. But, I mean, after he—I mean, you can look back two seasons. We were talking about how he did two seasons ago. He was actually number 66 two seasons back when he did miss uh, a fair amount of time, but had that 18 points on 46% shooting. And he still got drafted outside the top 100 the following year. He got drafted right around the edge of the top 100, despite being number 66. Then he got drafted even later at 130 after posting a 144 season. And now this year he bounces back to the positive, And I, I got to think that brings him back out, right out towards the edge of that top 100 again. So I'm into it. I think Fournier could end up having, being a nice draft day value as well. Pretty surprising, actually, when you think about this Magic team, that it's possible their three best fantasy assets might actually be undervalued. I think it's possible that everyone on this Magic team is undervalued except Markel Fultz for different reasons. Vooch and Fournier, because, frankly, they're kind of boring and nobody watches Magic games. Jonathan Isaac, because he missed effectively half of this season, and it would have been more than that by the time things actually ended in April, if they were to have ended in April. By the way, happy seven weeks of quarantine, everybody. Wait, is that right? Was it seven or is it more than that? It's more, isn't it? Is this eight? One, two, three, four, five, six. No, it is seven. All right. I knew I said seven earlier in the week. Happy seven weeks of of, uh, no NBA, everybody. Terrence Ross is the next name we were going to talk about on the list, so maybe it's not fair for me to just try to lump everybody in together. Uh, Terrence Ross ended up being... Same old Terrence Ross, although he got a big-time bump when DJ Augustine got hurt. Ross was hovering in that 125 range for most of the season. Augustine went down, and for those three-ish, about three weeks, that DJ was out of the picture, Ross was more like a top 70 guy. And that lifted his season average up because suddenly he was scoring. I'm not big into Terrence Ross, I know that from a kind of plodding standpoint, a guy that's right around the top 100 and extremely durable is useful because by totals, he was at number 75. And so that's a guy that in a weekly format is useful because he's playing in his games. That's where totals really come into play. In a daily format, you can usually find guys that are playing around that top 100 clip on most weeks on the waiver wire. If you're just exchanging Terrence Ross for the the hot backup, basically, the hot backup that's posting, you know, top 85 numbers, well, if you can get top 85 for 63 games versus top 100 for 63 games, which is Terrence Ross, yes, it's a lower stress way to play, you just dump one guy in your lineup and forget about it, but it's less valuable. If you do the work, you get a little bit more. Simple as that. Uh, Terrence Ross's contract situation is that he's signed for another three years. So this is who he is. If you need three pointers scoring and low field goal percent, uh, you got your guy. I'm going to jump over Aaron Gordon. Cause I want him to be the last guy that we talk about with this team. Um, everybody else on the magic, you, you not even does not, let's not get into it. Uh, Al Aminu. We knew he wasn't going to get enough time to be significant on this team. DJ Augustine, it's always the same issue, and now he's fighting for minutes with Markel Faults. He wasn't a fantasy value even when he was playing normal starters minutes. Markel Faults dramatically overvalued because he gets assists and steals. It's uh, one of the point guard fantasy fallacies is that assists and steals can float someone's value, but it's just simply not the case. He was number 161. Uh, did play in all 64 games with the Magic, so by totals he was at number 111. I want to start by picking on his fantasy game a tiny bit because uh, 12 points per game, half a three-pointer, three rebounds, .2 blocks, which, fine, you don't expect that out of a point guard. 47% from the field is actually decent for a point guard, but if you're not taking any three-pointers, you kind of need it to be there or better. 72 at the foul line, uh, and then a kind of league average two turnovers a game. If you're going to get five assists and 1.3 steals, that's fine. Those are net positives, but something else in your fantasy game has to be good enough to offset the lack of three-point shooting, bad free throw percent for a guard, uh, and frankly not all that much scoring, which, fine, you know, he's not a lead scoring option on this team. He took the, what, fourth, fifth highest number of field goals on a Magic team that has a lot of balance to it, Um the question is, what can he become next year? I think he's going to be a guy that gets drafted near 100 that people think is going to take that next step. I'm willing to to roll the dice on someone like Markel Faults, with the assumption that he grows as a basketball player. I don't like taking these types of chances and assuming that someone is going to change their game. But here's the thing about Markel Fultz. He doesn't need to change his game all that much to make a fantasy impact. What do I mean by that? Because you're going to say, "Dan, you just you just ripped giant holes in his in his fantasy game." Well, number 1, DJ Augustine is a free agent at the end of this season. He might come back with the Magic. We don't know. Uh, throughout his entire career, he's probably been better served being a backup point guard, but you got to think he's going to go out there and try to find a starter's job. So, you're looking at a Markel Fultz playing probably 30 minutes a game. Well, he played 28 minutes this year, and that was still only enough to get him outside the just, by the way, outside the top 150. Come back at 30 minutes a game, little bit more aggression on the offensive side, bump the assists up, maybe as more of a primary ball handler, maybe, maybe. I wouldn't get married to that idea. Improve the free throw percent. Can he do that with the weird stuff going on in his, I'm putting air quotes around shoulder? And does he end up taking any three-pointers? If he does, does that hurt his field goal percent? There's a way for him to get to fantasy value. You know, playing an extra two to three minutes a game, his 1.3 steals could be 1.4 or even 1.5. That's a big deal. That's hyper elite if you get up to 1.5 in that category. Can his assists get from 5 to 6? That takes him from good to very good. Those are things that can flow to value. We talked about it, but the point guard's fallacy is you need something else. Will it be scoring? Will it be free throw percent? Will it be threes? Will it be even better field goal percent? I don't know, but as we talked about on a few recent podcasts, the guys going around the edge of the top 100 often don't pan out very much, and so you take a guy where you're like, well, look, if something clicks with this dude, and he averages and he somehow bumps his stuff up to 15, 6, and 1.5 with one three-pointer and a not-as-bad bad Free throw percent, he goes from top 160 to top 80 pretty fast. So I'd take a chance on him around 100 to 120, Uh, guessing that's probably about where he's going to go. And we'll wait and see who else is going in that neighborhood. But I I would put him in the we'll take a little shot on him thing. Uh, Maybe. He's a maybe. And then the guy that I've been railing on for years, but actually deserves accolades from us, the great Aaron Gordon ladies and gentlemen. And if I had a sound effects bar, I would drop a round of applause in for Aaron Gordon because he completely changed his game. I don't know what it was. Uh, I read magic articles from various beat writers and bloggers, and no one was able to completely pinpoint the moment when things changed for him. But things changed for him. And it was partway through this season that thing's actually changed for him and you can you can look at the box scores and you can find this fairly notable trend and it was it was like right around mid January and I don't know if they changed the way the offense was running or if he changed something between the ears but he had posted one game all season of more than 5 assists prior to that point and 3 games all season of more than 4 assists before January 16th. On January 16th, he posted three games of more than four assists in his next six games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten additional ones. Thirteen games over four assists over the last two months of the season. Three over the first three months of the season. It's a big change. And it's a huge change for Aaron Gordon's fantasy value, coming from, frankly, a direction that I never saw coming. I never saw it coming. I was like, what is that, from Dumb and Dumber? We didn't even see it coming. If you look at his full season numbers this year, they fairly well parallel last season. And so I think some of what he was doing was flying under the radar. Last year to this year, he actually dropped 1.5 points per game. He took one shot less this year. His free throw percent was right around his career low of 67.5%. His three-point percentage was around his career low. There was a lot to look at with Aaron Gordon this year and think, what the is going on? Steals and blocks were fine. Rebounding assists right on the mark from season over season. But if you split this season into two chunks for Aaron Gordon, the before January 15th, the after January 15th, it was night and day. In fact, over his last, and if you, and if you go from January 15th on, you, you basically get that number of just over five assists a game. He was right around the edge of the top 80, despite shooting a pretty high volume, 65% at the free-throw line over that stretch. And if you happen to catch him during a window where his free-throw shooting wasn't as awful, over the last 10 games before the NBA shut down, he was inside the top 30 because he was getting steals and blocking shots. And that stuff's probably not going to stick forever. There's going to be the up and down of, of blocks and steals with him, and he was on a bit of a heater at the time the season came to its conclusion but we may have isolated this weird moment in time where Aaron Gordon got good, but no one noticed. We've been getting force-fed Aaron Gordon hyperbole and hype for the better part of three seasons now. More? It might be more. Guys, he's been in the league since 2014. Uh, the hype train didn't really kick in until about 2016 when he posted 13 and 5 and 2, and everybody's like, oh, this guy's coming. Uh, And then the last three years have all been pretty big disappointments, and they've all looked exactly the same from a full-season standpoint. But that giant leap from two-and-a-half-slash-three assists per game to five? That's colossal. That's the thing. That takes him well inside the top 100, finally. And he's a guy I'm willing to take a shot on next year in a lot of different formats. You have to know you're getting someone who's probably going to hurt you in percentages. He has a little bit of that Julius Randle streak going on, but worse field goal percent. But even that was starting to come around a little bit later in the year. Over those last, uh, well, let's post-January 15th, he shot 45%. It's not good, but you can handle it. Just make sure you buttress his free throw percent with some guys earlier. Take guys in the first couple rounds that can hit free throws. Gives you some opportunities here later. Or take a Gallinari in like the fifth round. That, that'll that hold you steady. Five free throws a game at almost 90%. Yeah, you could throw an Aaron Gordon into the mix and it really wouldn't hurt you all that much. Do the average there. Four a game at 65%, five a game at 90 That gets you back up into the competitive zone and just make sure the rest of your team is okay. So the Magic, as simple as they may be from a fantasy standpoint to break down, might be one of the value plays for next year. Because, again, no one really pays attention to them. Sorry, Magic fans. It's true, and you probably know it's true. I do, because I watch everything on League Pass, and they're often one of the first games on. But Vooch? We're gonna, let's go over it again here at the end of the show. Why are most of these guys undervalued? Jonathan Isaac, injury? I don't know. He might not actually get underdrafted next year. Vooch? He'll be accurately drafted, and I'm good with that. Accurately drafted, to me, is a win, because you don't have to think about it. Evan Fournier, nobody believes he's going to be able to do this again. So take him at 100, and feel pleased if he breaks that mark. Terrence Ross, meh, don't care. He might be undervalued, but there's, there's no upside there. Markel Fultz, you could take a flyer on him, but I'm not super into it. I call him new Alfred Payton. Better at the free throw line than Alfred. New Alfred Payton. But uh, again, no DJ Augustine. Chance to grow for him. So there's, there's a little bit of an opportunity to move into it. We've talked about this before. Usage is value. and if, if Augustine's gone and no one's pushing him, no one's pushing faults and costing him minutes every other game, it's just an opportunity to do more stuff. And then Aaron Gordon, who finished at number 126 this year on a per-game basis but could easily be a top 70 player next year because of those assists, because they changed the way they ran the offense. And it's not because guys were missing a whole bunch of time either. I mean, Vooch missed 10 games. Gordon missed six games. It's not like D.J. Augustine being out meant they had to change the way they ran their offense. Aaron Gordon just, he was starting plays. They, they did it. They sprung, us on, they sprung it on us. So there you go. I've hated him for three years in fantasy and next year, 2020, 2021, I'm probably going to end up with a bunch of Aaron Gordons. How about that? Tomorrow, guys, I think I can officially announce it. We're going to have a guest on the pod. The great Josh Millman, who's putting together a Nets piece for HoopBall and also was part of that draft. You guys might remember we did a Mach 8 category draft about a month and a half ago, right when the league shut down, and uh, we'll go through Josh's team and get his thoughts on who he ended up with, why, when, and where. I don't know what wear has to do with anything. So can't wait to talk to Josh. Can't wait to talk to another human. Screw you, quarantine. I hate it, man. I'm sick of it. I'm running out of gas for this thing. I'm just trying to close my eyes and get to the end of it. But this sucks. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for writing in, everybody. Uh, Appreciate everybody that's uh, hit me up to get on board with our sales team at HoopBall. I have reached back out to all of you on Twitter that I've seen. So if you think I haven't... Hit me again or check your direct messages because I uh, tried to do it both ways. Enjoy your Wednesday. I figured it out, by the way. While we were on air, I looked up what day of the week it was. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, Again, talk to Josh tomorrow, and then on Friday, we'll dive back into the team-by-team breakdown. Enjoy uh, whatever the hell it is you're doing tonight. I I don't even know what to do at the end of a show anymore. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody. So long.